Good morning, First Church. We're glad you could be here with us to uh, to praise Jesus. Um, even though we're not here together physically, um, you know we can still Jesus still uses technology to uh, glorify His name. So um, just worship where you are, um, and as we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, thank you that um, just thank you for your sacrifice and everything you've done. We thank you that you can um, just still use this difficult time to um to glorify yourself we pray that you would um you would just speak to us in this time that we would worship you um with our hearts with our mind our soul and our bodies god um just speak to us and and show us how we can um in this time of of struggle that how we can be uh, living for you god and pray that you would just give us peace um and joy in jesus name amen comes 
from Bethlehem's soil grew Calvary's sequoia.
Thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for being our Savior. Um, thank you for sacrificing your life um, to save us, um, even though we don't deserve it. God, we um, acknowledge that you are King, um, you are powerful, and you deserve all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, at this next time, uh, we'd encourage you, we're just going to move the stage around so Bob can talk. Um, and you can go ahead and get up and go to your kitchen and get a cup of coffee or something to eat, and um, we'll be right back. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here to worship with us. I want to go through a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we've been saying this. We've put putting it on our website, but we want to just kind of uh, repeat it again. If you need help, if you need uh, medicines, if you need groceries, if you need a ride to the grocery store, let us know. We have people who are willing to do that. And they're willing to do it for you and go do it and deliver the groceries. Or if you just need a ride, they're willing to do that. Uh, also, if you want to help with those things, um, you can call us or message us on our website. Let us know. And uh, we have a list of people who are ready to help. Uh, just a reminder also, Thrive needs food. Thrive is staying open during this time to serve the community. And they need food. Food Lion has stepped up in a big way and is giving them a lot of food, but uh, they could use more. Also, if it's more convenient for you, you can bring food to us. Uh, we, can, we can store it. We can get it to thrive. We can get it out to people who need it. Just let us know uh, so that make sure someone's here when you come. Um, I want to remind you, Wednesday night at 6.30, we'll live stream, uh, I don't know what to call it, prayer time with Bob. I don't know. It sounds like a Mr. Rogers thing, but... Uh, you can come and uh, join us for 20 minutes to half an hour, spending some time in prayer. And um, also on our website, we're putting up new, new uh, of our series, not a message, just a thought, just short snippets from the Word of God. And then also later this week, we'll be taping and then getting it up as soon as possible. Uh, Bill Cumbie will begin teaching a, an online, uh, kind of like an online class, if you want to call it that. It'll be a teaching situation, almost like a Sunday school situation, and we encourage you to... Um, to start looking for that. We'll let you know when that comes up. I came across an interesting um, quote. This is from Martin Luther when, uh, when uh, the plague was running through Europe and, uh, and people were discussing what to do and they weren't sure what to do with it. Um, let me turn off my phone there. Good. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate. I shall help purify the air. I will administer medicine and I will take medicine. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus by chance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God would wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. And he just was saying, I'm going to take the proper precautions 
to avoid getting sick. But if someone cries out in need, if my next door neighbor or someone I know, I'm willing to help. I think that's a good balance as we think about how we're supposed to react in this time. We encourage you to be reaching out to others, whether it's by phone, whether it's by text, whether it's by email, whether it's an actual real old-fashioned letter but checking on people that you know, checking on people that you care about, checking on people who are a part of our community. There's no way we can do it all here. We need your help with these things. So if you'll do that, we would appreciate it. I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about, and I, and I was, uh, partly what I was thinking about was that this is a period of time, this is so unusual for us, we're seeing a lot more of each other. Children are home from school, college students are home uh, from college, uh, some people are working at home, and, and we're seeing more of each other, and, and this could be good or maybe not so good because suddenly you begin to realize, wow, this is how my kids really are all the time. Uh, kids begin to realize, wow, this is how my parents really are all the time. Maybe you're a CNU student, and you're beginning to realize how annoying your parents can be. Maybe you're a parent of a CNU student, and you're just wondering when your kid will finally grow up. All right? So we have these problems, and there's, we, we're seeing <clears throat> interpersonal problems that are on the rise. And then how do we, how do we work them out? I talked about this as, as this is kind of our, uh, our theme for, t- for today. What we're going to look at is wisdom for conflict. How do we work things out when we're in difficult situations? Because, you know, for all of us, uh, we're all different. When, when my wife and I got, first got married, um, we came from two totally separate families, two totally separate ways of living. My family was from the Deep South, and her family was, was from the opposite of what Deep South is, Upper North. I don't know what that is. She, she was from Boston. And so we were raised differently. And so we were, we were taught through the years, oftentimes just by observation, how to handle difficult situations. And different families have different styles of resolving conflict. I typically, my family was this way. We, we uh, oftentimes kind of pushed things down, swept things under the rug. Um, <clears throat> so that when our first kind of real conflict in our marriage, um, I wanted to change the subject real quickly. I didn't want to deal with it. I wanted to avoid it. Uh, I don't like conflict. So I wanted to withdraw. I wanted to avoid. I wanted to pull back. I wanted to sweep it under the rug. And, and, and so I started deciding to do whatever it was to, to avoid this conflict. One of the re- one things I did is a tried and true thing. I, I left the room, but she followed me because her family didn't tend to avoid conflict like that. They didn't always deal with it great, but they didn't avoid it necessarily. And she followed me uh, into the next room, and, and she followed me uh, into, the, into the bedroom, and she followed me, and she kept saying, we need to talk about this. And I kept thinking, no, we, I don't want to talk about this. And so what happened was, I realized we're all going to face conflict. And how can we resolve them in a healthy way, in a God-honoring way, in a way that reflects Jesus in our lives? And, and uh, <clears throat> we need this right now, because this is going to continue. We're going to still struggle with this stuff. And so Jesus teaches us about this in Matthew 18. And we're going to zero in on just one verse. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. All right, so now we, Jesus is saying, this is what we have to do. Here it is in one verse, but there's six important parts of this verse, and I want you to see this. There's six crossroads that we're going to come up against in a difficult situation that this verse addresses. The first thing we're going to come to is this. Do I fly off the handle 
or do I take time to consider my response? Do you fly off the handle or take time to consider your response? Because notice there's a time frame in this verse. It says, if your brother sins against you, past tense, go. If your brother sins against you, go. That's present tense. So that, what is that telling me? That's telling me there's a time frame here. There, there's a, there's a, a clue here that some time has passed between the sinning against and the going. There is a hesitation before reacting. You know, James talked about this in James chapter 1. We went over this a few, a few years ago. But James said this. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to anger. For mankind's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So he addresses this. What does he say? He starts off by saying, take note of this. Okay, That's a little phrase that means understand this, comprehend this, think this through. This is important. He says, teach yourself about this. Remind yourself of how important this is. So he says, take note of this, and then he tells them. He says, I want you to understand that, that, that this is important for you in difficult times. And he's going to show them how important the word is in times of difficulty. He's going to show them these times receiving the word is difficult, but it is, it is utmost important to living through difficult times in a family situation, in a church situation. It could be in a work situation. It works in all situations. Now, I struggle with this passage sometimes because it hits close to home. You know, he could have put something easy in here, like he could have said, he could have said, receive the word implanted when you're struggling with stealing a candy bar from 7-Eleven. But here's the thing, I don't struggle with stealing a candy bar from 7-Eleven, at least not lately, I haven't done that. And so what does he say, he's, he's picking something, he wants them to understand this is something important, this is not something easy. And he's telling them, I want you to be quick to listen, slow to anger. All right, slow, in, in, in one other version in Ephesians, Paul says, and slow to speak. He urges them, quick to listen, slow to anger. Um, why? Because he's telling them you need to have a measured response. You need to slow down, slow down. Quick to listen, slow to anger. Because it's easy to explode. It's easy to react. And that's when regret steps in. Families and you may be a family that has this, or you grew up in a family that has it. Families with exploders, there's damage that occurs because of that. Unbridled anger causes deep wounds. Often the result of too many explosions is a distance. There becomes a fear. There becomes an anger towards that person, a resentment towards that person for those explosions, and it creates distance even in the closest of family units. And he goes further with anger. He says nothing good, nothing godly, nothing righteous that God would want is going to come out of that. It may feel good for a while, but it's a poison that kills. It's a, it's a contagious disease that infects others. And we know this, but we still can struggle. That's the interesting thing. We know this is true. We know that we should be quick to listen and slow to anger. We know that anger, explosions of anger, accomplish nothing that's righteous, but we still struggle with doing it. We're like a small child that can't learn. 
uh, when one of my kids um, was little, and I'm not going to mention his name because I think he may be listening today. When one of my kids was little, he watched his older brother one day. We had this little rubber ball, and his older brother would throw it against the wall. He'd kick it against the wall and then catch it, right? And so what our younger son wanted to do was he wanted to do what his older brother was doing. So when his older brother ran off to do something, he picked up that ball, but he walked right up to the wall, like just two or three feet from the wall. And he's little, like two or three, so he doesn't throw real well. And he would throw the ball against the wall. And I watched him do that. And I said, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, this is not a good idea. Back up, back up. It's going to hit you and it's going to hurt. And, and I backed him up away from the wall, and he walked right back up to it, and he threw the ball against the wall. And then, sure enough, he threw the ball against the wall. It came right back and hit him in the face. He started crying. He came over to me, and I hugged him, and you're okay, you're okay. And I said, this is why we're going to back up, back up to here. And he walked right up close to the wall, picked the ball up, and started throwing it again. That's when I realized I had a slow child right then. That's when I realized that. And so he's, he's doing that. And I'm going, it's gonna, you're going to hit yourself in the face again. And he hit himself in the face again, and we cried, and we hugged, you know, and all that. So then I pull him back, and he walks back towards the wall. Sometimes we know what the right thing is, and we keep doing the wrong thing. And that's why he's saying, take note of this. That's why he's saying, in verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the word implanted. Our hope for long-term, lasting change that will affect us in our lives is the Word of God. This Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. He says, I want you to receive this. I want you to receive this. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying, it's like, it's like uh, when Jesus talked about the different soils. He's giving a, a, a something that, that deals with planting and soils. Receive. What are we? We're the soil. We're the soil, and we receive the seed that the sower puts in our lives, right? So we're the soil. Our job is to receive. Our job is to let it grow. Our job is to make yourself available to the Word of God. And he, see, he says, receive this with meekness or humility. If you receive with pride, then you will not grow and bear fruit. To receive is to welcome. To, uh, that word actually means to show hospitality to it, to accept it into your life, to realize how much you need it. Because the word is not just more advice for your life. It is what you desperately need. So he says, receive it in humility. That is, put no conditions on it. And this is our problem oftentimes. We put conditions on the word and on God. We say, we say uh, with some of these conditions, sometimes we say, well, I've prayed and prayed and prayed. God didn't answer that prayer. So I'm mad at him or I don't believe him or whatever. Why? Because we want him to be like us. Or we say this, we say, I hear this from people sometimes, I like the message of Jesus, but I don't like some of this other stuff that's in there, some of this stuff concerning, and you just name whatever the issue is. I don't like that part. But the problem is, when we do that, what are you doing? You're constructing a God who agrees with you. You're constructing a God who is, thinks like you do. You're constructing a God who is just like you. And that's not, that's not what God is. I don't need a God. Who is like me? I don't want a God who is like me. My wife is the greatest saint that I know because she has stuck with me for 38 years. All these years, I would not stick with me. I wouldn't want to be married to I'm not a big fan of me in that way. But she is, and God is. And you and I, we need a God who will correct us. You need a God, we need a God who will get in our face even when we don't like it. 
And receiving the word humbly means that I'm willing to yield to its authority even if I don't like it. We acknowledge that there is an authority that is greater than us, that stands above us. That's the only way it'll work. Because if we keep changing it to be more agreeable to us, we're simply creating a God that looks like us. And we don't need a God like that. We already have us. And so he says, I want you to receive this word, and I want to see the word that's implanted. Now, what does that imply? That implies that it's a seed, and it grows. Now, different seeds grow at different rates in different types of soil. So we have to be careful about judging others about how their plant is doing. Because the gardener is the judge. In John 15, when Jesus talks about abiding, he talks about this. The gardener is the judge. The gardener decides when things need to be pruned. The gardener decides what the appropriate action is for that plant. We have to be careful because we are not the gardener. And so the Holy Spirit uses the word to give us the ability to react rightly in, dif in difficult situations. We need to think we need to consider before reacting. We need to allow the word to work. So that was the first one. The first one to fly off the handle or to take time to consider your response. The second, the second crossroads we come to is to go or to say nothing. He said, if your brother sins against you, go. Jesus charges us to initiate the reconciliation. Now we can turn. We can hide. But it's easy. And it is easier to, to practice conflict avoidance. What Jesus is saying, you need to go. We, we need to understand there's a cost involved, and we need to face that. And when we avoid facing conflict, it will cost in, in terms of a relationship. It will cost in terms of our own heart. So we take the initiative. Even if it's not resolved, there is a certainty that we are doing the right thing. And when it is resolved, there's a strength that comes that relationship. Even if the person doesn't accept what you have to say, at least you know you tried to do the right thing. But things don't go away if we just hide from them. We're just postponing the next explosion and making it worse. So he says, are you willing to commit to this? Are you willing to commit to facing the conflict and not avoiding it anymore? And if you are, then next you have to decide who you're going to go to. Do you go to the person or do you go to someone else? If your brother sins against you, go and show him. Go and show her, right? We go, we need to go to that person and not go to others and let it become gossip. You know, when my wife and I first had that big argument, I'll tell you who she could have gone to. She could have gone to my parents. Because my parents, especially my mom, my mom loves Bev. She believes that Bev saved her wayward son from a, a horrible life. She, she firmly believes that. Now, if she had gone to my mom, now we've brought in another person into this argument. This is why Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Go, if your sister sins against you, go to her. Because if you bring a third person in, now what do you have? You have a triangle. In the military, they call this triangulation. And what does that mean? That means if someone shoots, a, say, a rocket, and they can figure out from two different angles where that rocket came from. They get an exact place to shoot back at. And this actually is from a, a publication by one of the uh, people that build artillery. Triangulation leads to better, more accurate, more powerful weapons delivery. 
bring someone else in and there's going to be a bigger explosion. And this is very common. Unfortunately, it can happen in the church where there's little tidbits of information. There's little, there's, there, there's a little clucking of tongue. There's a little bit of gossip. And God says that is something that he has to deal with. In Proverbs chapter 6, he says, There are things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable, detestable to him. Okay, so God says seven things. These seven things, I had to take a minute to find my fingers. These seven things are what God really hates. If we want to know sometimes what God loves, that's important to know what God loves because then we want to embrace those things. If we figure out what God hates, that's pretty important too because now we're kind of thinking, okay, what do I need to avoid? And he says seven that are detestable to him. Uh, A lying tongue. Uh, Eyes, oh, wait a second. It says haughty eyes. I misspelled that. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. So he says, there's seven things I hate, and three of them have to do with the mouth. And the last one, they think this is, this is building to a crescendo. The last one is this false witness who pours out lies, a man who, no, not false, a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. This is a person who causes problems within their community, within their circle of, 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 of their community. And so he says, God says, think about this. God says, I hate that. I hate that when that happens. Why? Because unity is so important to God. At First Church here, one of the things we emphasize in our, in our class for new, new, uh, new members is we emphasize unity. We emphasize dealing with conflict in the right way so that we keep unity within the church. Why? Because God says it's so important. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean we don't deal with conflict. It means we take it to the right person. We go to the appropriate people who need to be involved in this. And this is what he's saying when he says here, he says, go to the person or go to someone else. That's our choice. And he says, go to the one who sinned against you. Go to that person. Do not drag other people. So we decide not to gossip. We go to the other party. And then we have to make a commitment. And that is this. We have to decide to tell the truth or to dance around the issue. If your brother sins against you, if your sister sins against you, go and show the faults. Go and show him his faults. Go and show, all right? So you can tell the truth or you can dance around the issue. And he's saying direct and honest communication here. Not attacking, not blaming, not avoiding the real issues. Telling that person what we perceive the problem to be, how it happened, and how it has affected their relationship, and how you hope it will change. You, you go and you lay that out. Here's what I think is wrong. This is what happened from my point of view. This is how it's affected me. This is how I would love to see it change. Not to dance around it. Now, I'm good at that. I'm good at dancing around in conflict. Here's some of the phrases that show someone is dancing oh, that's okay, or, nah, I'm fine, or, it doesn't matter, when the truth is it does matter, the truth is it's not okay, and the truth is I'm everything but fine. And couples, generally, I would say to you, people who are in close relationships, I would say to you, if someone says, I'm fine, 
That's a red flag. Especially if you can sense the tone of voice. If you suddenly hear this tone of voice that's kind of like, I'm fine, the witch is dead. You know you've got a problem on your hand. That's a red flag. So we need to speak the truth in love. We need to say things like, you know what? That did hurt. You may not have meant it that way, but it hurt. That's how we begin this process of reconciliation. So we decide to tell the truth or dance around the issue. The fifth one is to resolve the conflict in private or to take pot shots in a group. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his faults just between the two of you. Now, this is similar to, the, to, to number three, except this is this idea of a public aspect. It's important because Jesus wants to emphasize this. He's already said, you know, go to the person. But now he's doubling up on that. He's saying, don't get, just stay between the two of you. Don't get a bunch of people involved. Resist the temptation to take the conflict public. Go and meet face to face, just the two of you in private. Don't bring it up at a dinner party. Don't discuss it with your small group in order to get them to agree with you on how awful that person has been. Don't get a whole bunch of people involved in it. And there's ways that we do that. We, sometimes it's casual references. Sometimes we couch it like it's a, a prayer request. I've heard this before too. Uh, I've heard this. I've said this before too. I don't want to talk bad about someone, but, and man, once you put the but in, you know what's coming. I don't know if this is gossip or not, but if you have to say, I don't know this is gossip or not, but it's gossip, just, just don't say it, all right? Now, I want to say this. Later in the text, Jesus is going to teach about the guidelines for taking the next step and bringing others in as a last resort, but that's only after you've made the effort to take care of this in private. Now, here's the sixth one, to seek reconciliation or to remain separated. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his faults just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother, you have won your sister over. All right? I, I can remember years ago working in a youth ministry and, and, and we had buses that we would drive teens to stuff in. And, and one day, it was a long day, a hard day, and I parked the bus and I, and I just kind of did a cursory look over it, whether it was clean or not and whether things were the way it was supposed to be. And I didn't take it to fill the gas tank up like we were supposed to. I said, I'll do it tomorrow. And, uh, and later that night, I got a phone call from, the pers- from a person who, who, who works with buses, and, it was, and they just were like, why'd you do this? Why, the bus is a mess, and blah, blah, blah. And we, and we got angry, and we had words. And, and, uh, and I thought he had wronged me, and he thought I'd wronged him. And I, and, and I just was, I shoved it under. I said, forget, I'm going to move on. And it ate at my soul. And finally, we met together, and I explained what was going on, and he explained what was going on. It didn't occur to me, after I had a long, hard day, it didn't occur to me that anyone else in the world had long, hard days. But he'd had a long, hard day. And so we both were prime for, for uh, uh, disagreeing and getting upset with each other. And, 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 and I asked forgiveness, and, and we worked through it. And, and our relationship was strengthened because of it. And I know some of you... We have people in our congregation that are facing deep problems. There's conflict with someone that you really care about. Now, sometimes it just can't be dealt with. If you're in an abusive relationship, going and meeting face-to-face with a person may not be the right thing to do. It may be someone who's passed on. There's nothing you can do about that. There's plenty of reasons. But I want you to remember, primarily Jesus is getting us to focus on 
uh, our relationships within the family of God, and I think our relationships within a family too. And some people outside, or maybe some people even inside those relationships, may not receive our efforts to make things right. And then we forgive and we trust God, and, and we just have to move on. We can't do anything about it. If we've done what we can, we've forgiven, we've, we've tried to make this effort to reconcile, and there's no reconciliation coming, then we just trust God that he will work and ask him to work in that situation, and we move on. And just so that we have to remember, though, what happens, what is forgiveness? And we've talked about this a lot. Forgiveness is you take on the burden. You take it on. You forgive that person of the wrong that's been done. And when you do that, you take it on. That's why, that's why you can't forgive and forget. Like it's so popular, people say, oh, just forgive and forget. That just doesn't work in difficult situations. I don't know whether you've noticed that, but you do not forget it. Why? Because it's a hard thing and it takes time. And it's being worked on. It's being, in a sense, paid for. And this is, this is in our day and age, Jesus is emphasizing why it's so important to be right within your family, to be right within the church, the family of God, to be right in your relationships. So now we get to crunch time. Is there someone in your life that maybe as I've been talking, that person has come to your mind? Is there a face you're seeing? Whose face, has been, whose face is it? Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a son or a daughter or a parent or a colleague at work, a classmate at school. Maybe it's someone here in the church. Maybe it's a friend that things have just fallen apart on. But if that person has come to your mind, maybe God is prompting you to start to work, do the hard work of reconciliation, to take these six steps and begin to work through them. Because I think Jesus would say if there's a conflict to be resolved, don't wait. Don't wait, because relationships are too important. Speak the truth. Pursue reconciliation. And then the question is, will we be people who will commit ourselves to pursue reconciliation and resolving conflicts in our lives? Will we be that kind of person? This is what our world needs. People who will do that, who will do the hard work of making things right with those that they love and even people they work with, even people who are neighbors, whatever it may be. And so, as you think about that, I would encourage you, first of all, what did Jesus say uh, in, in, in that passage? He said, receive, uh, in, James, in, the, in the James passage, he said, therefore put away all filthiness and ramp, rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. James is telling them that the word is the key here. The word enables them to have the supernatural wisdom and strength to do the hard things. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives and applies the word to our lives, we become equipped to be reconcilers, people who make an impact and a difference in the world they live in. I hope you will uh, make that your goal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you um, for what you're doing, Lord, in a time where people see fear and in a time where people... Uh, just see all kinds of things going on, but we are separated uh, through no fault of our own. Lord, we know that in you we are still together, and we know that you are working to cause good to come out of evil. And so, Lord, we look forward to hearing the stories of how you've worked during this time. Help us to be open. Help us to be like Martin Luther, not do anything stupid, but also be willing when there's need to step in and fill the gap. And Lord, 
Help us to be reconcilers. Maybe even today, getting on the phone and calling someone and trying to initiate uh, reconciliation. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.